Obstacles are defined in the dictionary as something that stands in the way or opposes. Something that is in the way of where you are and and where it is that you want to be. Life is full of them. Some of them can be as small as... uh, as traffic being backed up on your way to work that really frustrates you in the morning, or an idle train at a railroad crossing that's stopping you from from getting to where you need to be. Some of them can be as big as the loss of a job that totally affects your career path and alters the course of your life and your plan for what you wanted to, to achieve. Or it could be the diagnosis of a debilitating disease in your body that alters the course of your life expectancy and changes your perspective on life in general. Uh, We have dealt with, we are dealing with, and we will always face obstacles in our lives. Throughout history, key leaders have had to overcome obstacles. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was born into poverty and to illiterate parents. Julius Caesar was an epileptic. Thomas Edison was deaf. Booker T. Washington was born into slavery. Many leaders, we could probably go on and on with obstacles that they faced that were both physical and socioeconomic that they had to overcome in their course of leadership. This morning I want to look at obstacles, but but in a different way. Uh, And probably with larger implications for our life. Uh, But obstacles that stand in the way of where you are with God, and where you need to be with God and what he wants from you. They can hinder your relationship with the creator if you let them. If you let them, they can stop you from being all that God wants you to be and claiming the promises that he has for you. Now, would you agree that most of us in this room, if not everyone, could stand to be closer to God? Would you agree that we have things in our lives that we let stand in the way of our relationship with the Father? It could be a bad habit. It could be a habit that you have that demands your resources and your time and your attention, draws you away from what you really need to be focused on. It could be a spouse, maybe, that you have that, um, that doesn't share the same love for the church and for God that you do. And they don't understand why you, why you have that. That's a sad situation, but those, those are true stories. It could be complacency. It could just be that you have grown comfortable in your relationship with God. And that is a dangerous place to be. You've, you're complacent. You're indifferent in your relationship with the Father. Satan is a master builder of obstacles. And he will do anything that he can to put one in your way where it will affect you the most. We read all about obstacles in the Old Testament, uh, especially when we read the story of the Israelites and their pursuit of all that God had promised for them. Some of their obstacles were put in their way. Others were kind of man-made. They did that on their own with their whining and their complaining and their wanting their own way. They didn't trust and unfollow after the leadership that God had put in front of them. They wandered around in the desert, probably a lot of doubt, A lot of obstacles to overcome that they could have let deter them. But they had this leader that had a vision from God. Someone that they followed after, someone that they trusted. And as they're they're going along on this journey, all of the sudden, in the book of Deuteronomy, 
Moses comes to the people of Israel and he says, I am now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. What a statement to hear from the person who has brought you so far. I have brought you to this point, but God has revealed to me that I will not cross the Jordan River. The man that had brought them so far would not see the land that God had promised. But these are the words of encouragement that Moses offers to the Israelite nation. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, meaning those that oppose them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he passes the baton on to Joshua, who is to to succeed him in this leadership, who has this vision, and he gives Joshua the same charge in front of the whole Israelite nation. Just one verse later, he calls Joshua in front of the people, and he says, Be strong and courageous. The Lord goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. Where we land here in this story is, is, a, is a pivotal moment for the Israelites. They, they've just changed leadership. Same vision, different leadership. They, they've come to this obstacle that is in their way, the Jordan River. And, and God is calling for them to act and calling for faith on their part. And we're going we're gonna to hit right here with a great story that encapsulates all that God has promised us. Our faith what he wants for us. It's a lesson for those of us in the room, those of you who are here who are in leadership, it's a lesson in leadership. And for each one of us, it is a lesson in followership as well. So we're jumping in uh, right here. Uh, Book of Joshua is where we're at, the third chapter. We're gonna read um, the first, uh, well, I think they're the only actually, 17 verses in Joshua. And I'm gonna get there here in just a second. I didn't bring my Bible up here with me. It's here but it's not up here. I'm just going to read it from the screen. So, Rick, if you can just go ahead. I'll just read this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out uh, from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up. And they went ahead of them, and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters 
flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing downstream to the Sea of Arabah was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of the people passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is a great story. Before we go any further, I just want to stop and pray. Father God, we thank you for these accounts in Scripture of of your faithfulness and, and our obedience. Stories that remind us of who you are. Be with us as we study your word this morning. Uh, May it pierce our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We want to talk about obstacles this morning, but not in the sense that we have them, but more so how do we overcome them. And the first thing that I want to talk about is that we overcome obstacles with faith. This isn't going to be hard to fill in your blanks because the blanks are the title of the sermon. Okay? We overcome obstacles with faith. The event that was just described is, is called the second exodus. Many of us are familiar with the first. When the people were let out of Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's bondage and they crossed the Red Sea. But not as many are familiar with the crossing of the Jordan River. But it was this dramatic story, this account in their history that gave them the faith to move forward as they approached this obstacle. God's powerful hand of deliverance in the past gave them the faith that they needed to face the challenges that were coming in their future. They knew there would be dangers, but they also knew that God was going with them and that he is a God, the God, who makes a way where there is no way. And all too often, I think, we forget about God's faithfulness in our past. When obstacles or trouble comes up, we try to figure out how we're going to solve this problem on our own. What am I going to re- I'm going to rely on myself, on my own strength, on my own wisdom to get me through this rather than letting God take control of the situation. And many times we, we fail and we fall. And what happens? But God continues to pick us up, dust us off, put us back on our feet, and start us anew again. But all too often we forget that God always comes through and he never leads us to an impassable destination. If you look around this room this morning, we are sitting here. We are in this room because of God's faithfulness. I've only been here for 16 months, but I have heard stories of of the transition that took place in coming to this location. 13 years ago, this land was purchased because your leadership had a vision to be more than they could be in their current location. In a growth-stifling, landlocked location, they saw and recognized the economic situation of Evansville, saw people were moving and that we were expanding north, so they said, we are going to relocate to help meet the greatest need of the community that you now see surrounding this building. And I've also heard the stories of the intense moments of fellowship that took place during that time. One, because people don't like change. People don't want to move. And two, because people probably recognize that there are going to be some big hurdles that we, have to, that we have to face, obstacles we're going to have to overcome in this process. But your leadership uh, 
push on. They moved forward. They had a vision that God had gave them. And God promised to, to, to see you through. And he has done that very thing. I don't know if many of you know, but before this building was ever here, there were prayer meetings that were held on this ground. Praying for this community. Praying for our church family. Praying that God's vision would be carried out. Many of you probably gathered at those prayer meetings. And there was a cross that stood probably right here in the middle of this section of chairs. That cross was there to remind you that God will make a way. If you follow a vision that he has given you, if you follow his plan, he will make a way. I'm grateful for those decisions that were made, um, that, that your leadership rallied around our leadership, pursued the vision of God, uh, regardless of the opposition and the obstacles that came up. When we are faithful and we press on, God will pour out his blessings on us. John Neal is a notable author and literary critic of the 19th century, and he said this. He said, a certain amount of opposition is a great help to a man. Kites rise against, not with the wind. Over and over again in the book of Joshua, we hear those words, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. And that is what God is calling us to do as well in the midst of obstacles. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And the reason that we can do that is because we have our faith grounded in a faithful God. He has brought us through more than we thought we could probably survive. And he will protect us and keep us from more than we will ever know. There's an important command given uh, by Joshua to the people that I want to point out in verse 5. It says that Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That word consecrate in the Hebrew language, uh, it means to set apart or devote, to treat as sacred or hallow. It also means to sanctify. And Joshua was telling the people to prepare their hearts Go prepare yourself for God's blessing. This isn't the first time that they've heard this. Back in Exodus 19, we read this. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, to me, wash your clothes is just a weird statement in there. Was it like, Hey, you stink. Go wash your clothes. You need to do your laundry. But this is, this is more imagery of, of putting on the new self. God is saying, go prepare yourself. Remember that in me, you are new. You are not as you were. Sanctify yourself. And we see it throughout the Old Testament in Genesis 35 in the story of Jacob. When he returns home to Bethel, he and his family purify themselves and change their clothes. When King David confesses his sins in 2 Samuel 12 verse 20. He washes himself and he changes his clothes. We're reminded of this in the New Testament. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he says to the church in Ephesus, and speaking of how they came to know Christ, he says, Surely you heard of him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to live and to walk a new life. A life that is dead to our old self. A life consecrated and sanctified. God is telling the people to prepare themselves for a blessing. 
He's calling out, he's saying, I want to do some amazing things through you. I'm about to show up in a way that it's going to blow your mind, but I want you to be ready for it. Be ready for it. Be ready in your heart. And I think God calls us to do the same thing as well, to be prepared for his blessings. I've talked about this in our assimilation team meetings and in leadership meetings that that I think God is waiting for us to be ready to open up the floodgates and to pour his blessings on us, to open up the doors and bring so many people through the front door of First Christian Church that we won't really have a clue where they're going to sit, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready to meet their spiritual needs first. As Bob said last week, meet the spiritual need first, and then how can we meet their physical needs? He has growth in store for us. I promise you that. You may be somebody who likes a smaller church, but if you like a small church, I'm sorry. That's not God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is that it would grow and it would expand, that we are the kingdom of God on earth. What are we going to do with the people who come through that front door? How are we going to meet their needs? Are we ready to meet their needs? Are we taking care of the people that we have here now enough to where God can see that we can handle a larger blessing, that we can meet spiritual and physical needs of those who are lost? I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not saying we're not ready. I'm just posing the question, are we ready? Are you ready for God's blessings? I believe that we have a responsibility to ready ourselves, and we have what I feel is a mandate in Scripture, to expect, to pursue, and to intentionally grow the kingdom of God on earth. We need to prepare our spaces. We need to prepare our mindset and our attitudes, not for our current state, but for what God has in store for us. We need to plan for the future. We need to have a vision that is, that is bigger than where we are now. And after Joshua tells them this, after he says, go prepare yourselves, be ready, here's what's going to happen. In verses 7 and 8, he tells the Levitical priest carrying the ark, he says, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in it. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know a whole lot about the Jordan then and now, but I'm going to tell you just a couple of things. The Jordan River at this time, as we have read, it was harvest, and at harvest it was at flood stage, overspilling its banks by some 100 feet, probably on either side. It starts up at the, uh, at the, at the Sea of Galilee, and it, and, it goes, and it goes down. Sea of Galilee is 1,000 feet above sea level. And it goes down to its mouth, which is at the Dead Sea, which is 1,380 feet below sea level goes in a straight line for about 104 miles, and it coils like a snake for over 200. So in this, in this descent, the Jordan means the descender, in its descent of 2,380 feet, it's probably not a river that I would suggest you take an inner tube on and float down on a lazy weekend. It's probably moving pretty quickly. And God is calling for his people to go into this river, walk into the Jordan, and that act of faith is a sign of their obedience to his commands. We overcome obstacles with obedience, and that's a fun word, obedience, that's, that's a great word. You know, we, we probably don't have a real good handle on obedience since 
you know, I don't know how many of you are dog people, but we send our dogs to obedience to school to be taught obedience because we have a, we have a hard time teaching them that and getting them to understand that. Um, it, it, just, it simply means to submit to authority, to follow instruction. Instruction booklets in my house, I think I've said this before, mere suggestion. You know, it, I take it as a personal challenge. How far can I get in the assembly of this product before I have to open the instruction booklet? How, how far can I go on my own before I need, to, I need to open the book and do some reading? I remember when Jessica and I were first, uh, were first married, it was just the two of us, and, uh, and we did not have a problem with obedience, not because I felt like I was in charge. Um, we lived and we shared life together. I did not exercise authority over her in any way, and she did not come to me and say, you know what, you're not doing this right, you need to change that. You're not doing that the way that you're supposed to. And then... God's sense of humor came into play, and a tiny human appeared. As if, not as if from nowhere. A tiny human appeared in our midst, and then we understood God's blessing, and we got a glimpse of God's sense of humor. You ever think that sometimes as you're instructing your children and you're trying to teach them something in love, God looks down on you and says, not as easy as you thought it was, is it? Not so easy to teach your children to do one thing and watch them walk away and do another whenever you're, you're not there. To have to tell them over and over and over again. I can remember times when I would be in the kitchen doing something. Matthias would be climbing up on whatever he could find and grabbing knives and everything off the kitchen counter because I wasn't paying attention. I'm not the best in the kitchen. Um, and I would have to pick him up and physically take him in the other room and put up a gate and be like, just stay there. Stay there until I'm done. Listen to me. We're like that with God sometimes. And I think sometimes God needs to pick us up and physically move us and say, stay there. Do, do what I told you to do the first time. We know what God has told us to do. We've re- He's revealed his instructions for us, but we think that we know better. We wonder what would happen if, what if I just clicked a few more links on this website just to see how far it takes me? What, what, if I didn't, what if I didn't start tithing now because we're, we're saving for a house and we're almost to the point where we could have a pretty good down payment? What if, I, what if I didn't follow God's instructions for me just yet? What if I didn't sleep with my girlfriend, but we came up with a list of things that, we, that were permissible other than sex? Because we're, we would be in agreement on that. We would have an agreement. Those would be, that would be our conditions, so we, we have those conditions and we'll... We'll deal with the other later. Does that really sound like instruction that is wise to follow? Sometimes we think that we know what is best and that God's set of rules are merely suggestions. We think that we could do a better job governing our lives than the very person who created us, and we forget to look back and we forget to look at the faithfulness of God and the multiple times that we have failed... And like I said, he has come alongside us each and every time, and he has picked us up, he has dusted us off, sat us back on our feet, and started us on our journey again. God will take care of us. You would think that we would learn to follow in faithful obedience the first time, so we could reap those abundant blessings so much sooner. The Israelites remembered how their ancestors had come to the Red Sea. They remembered that account in their history And that gave them the faith to move forward, to press on, and to not look back. Like Moses, Joshua received his orders from God. His vision was from the Lord. 
And he obeyed it by faith. And it is, it's been said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but it is obeying in spite of consequence. The book of Hebrews talks about Abraham's faith, and he said he had faith and he obeyed. Read that, read that 11th chapter in the book of Hebrews. You know, you call it the hall of faith, some people. Telling you of all the people throughout, throughout biblical history who, who had faith, their faith was a, not a passive feeling, but an active force. When Joshua gave the instruction to the Israelite nation, they trusted. They knew that it was from God, so they moved forward. They didn't have to call a committee meeting that led to a deacon's meeting, that led to a board meeting, that led to an elder's meeting, that led to a congregational vote. They had a vision. And they moved forward. They trusted in their leadership and the vision that God put in front of them, and they pressed on. Sometimes God just wants us to act and to do and to be obedient to his leading, and he says that he will be faithful. Would you say that God has been obedient to us as we have followed his vision and relocated after being in a place for some more than 150 years, being a church that existed elsewhere, to being a church that just uproots and relocates. God has been obedient to the faithfulness of this church family. He is opening big doors for our church. I know that. I firmly believe that. I believe he's calling us to so much more, but we have to press on despite the obstacles that come up. If you you look at our church history, you will see how God has provided each and every step of the way based on our obedience. The Israelite nation, as soon as their marching orders were given, they moved forward, they took action, they rallied together, and they set out for the Jordan without hesitation. No discussion. They trusted Joshua. They trusted their leader to be acting on the vision from God. Our text tells us that as the priest approached uh, the, the Jordan River, carrying the ark, as soon as they got there, God told them to go and stand in the river. Now, I'm not one to just jump into a body of water. I have to do the whole, let's, how cold are we talking here? What, what's the temperature? Got to do the whole, put my foot in, see, see what it's like before I just go walking, taking in stride straight into a moving body of water. God says, walk straight into the Jordan and stand in the middle. And I'm not sure how it went play by play. I wish I could one day... I will, I will probably be able to ask. I know I will be able to ask, hey, how did this, how did this happen? Just tell me. What, what's an eyewitness account of this? But I, I, I see these Levitical priests walking with the ark towards the Jordan River, and I don't think that they even lost momentum. Maybe they even sped up as they approached the Jordan, knowing that this is what God had told them to do. And as soon as their feet hit the muddy waters of the Jordan, the river stopped flowing upstream. And revealed a, a piece of, of, of dry ground that was 30 miles, 30 miles of dry ground. Because of the faithfulness of this nation and their obedience to God's direction, he showed up and he did amazing things. We overcome, we deal with, we overcome obstacles with God. With faith, with obedience, and with God. And this isn't the only place that we see the presence of God. This isn't the only place that we read about that. Uh, throughout these, these verses, there are um, seven direct references to the Lord, including pronouns, and there are 13 direct references to the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? I would recommend that you go out and you get Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark so that you are brought up to speed theologically on what the Ark of the Covenant is. Great movie, great movie. The Ark of the Covenant was, was commanded to be made to, to hold the tablets on which uh, the foundational covenant was written, the Ten Commandments. The covenant w- w- was in there. And where the Ark was, so was the presence of God. It was the throne of God in the tabernacle. So in these 17 verses in Joshua 3, there are 20 references to the presence of God. 20 references in 17 verses. I think that that's probably very noteworthy to point out. And, it was, and also to remember that the ark was to go first. The people were to stay behind the ark. The ark was to lead the way. The presence of God was to go before them, opening up the way. The Israelites had faith and they were obedient. A large obstacle was in their way, but they knew what was impossible for man was possible with God. And we all face obstacles every day. We all can be discouraged about them, things that we think are too big to overcome, but we need to remember that we don't have to overcome them on our own because God has been with us every step of the way and will continue to lead us. The Jordan River in our text today symbolizes those obstacles. The parting of the Red Sea, the first exodus, represents our deliverance, our freedom from the bondage of sin. And the Jordan River is, is, is representative of us claiming our inheritance, our promise that is in Christ. Christ has stood in the same place for each of us. It, you know, remember in the text that the, the presence of the Lord stayed in the middle of that 30 miles of dry land until every one of the Israelites had crossed and were on dry ground on the other side. Jesus does the same for us. He's standing waiting for everyone to cross to the other side, to claim their inheritance. If you keep reading in the book of Joshua, you will see how they set out to remember. How did we set out to remember this? And yeah, each, each tribe of Israel was to choose one man to take a, a stone from the middle of the Jordan River, and they would gather those all in, in one place later on in the fourth chapter, and that would be a monument. That would be there to remind them so they would have uh, something for their, for their children, for their children's children to ask. What's, what, what's this monument mean? What does this monument represent? And they would be able to point back to God's providence, God's deliverance, God's presence. When they were eventually gathered into that one place and left in a memorial, Joshua 4.24 says that he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. It's powerful. Whenever I first uh, came here, one of the first things that I wanted to do was, if, if, if you've not been here for a while, if you've been here for eons, whenever we moved in, this was all the same color beige as the rest of the room, and there was a very attractive fire alarm right here in the middle of this wall. I don't know if you remember that. Very, very good placement. One of the first things that that I wanted to do was to to make this a little more aesthetically pleasing, focus attention where it needed to be. Uh, So I I set out to do that, looked at all kinds of things on the internet, how how churchstagedesignideas.com. It's like the Pinterest of church stage design. It's amazing. 
some of this stuff. These stained glass windows cost like $17 to make. I mean, it's just amazing. But there was one picture of a cross that just seemed to be floating. And I thought, I want to I do that. So I told Jerry what I was going to do, and we set out to do it. I said, hey, I'm going to Menards. I'm going to get some stuff, kind of get a cross constructed. He said, you know what? I think, I think that there's a cross behind the shelter. I said, okay. So we walked over there, and not even behind the shelter. It was back in the weeds. We picked it up, and there was stuff crawling all over it, and it looked bad. It looked bad. Uh, I said, well, I can see what, I can, what we can make happen with that. So I took it home, and I trimmed it up, and I sanded it, and I sprayed it with bug spray 6,700 times, left it in my garage. This very cross that hangs here, this very cross is the very cross that stood in that place before this building was ever here. This very cross is the cross that people rallied around to pray for the vision that God gave this church and the community that God called you to reach out to, called us to reach out to. This is our reminder that God has gone before us. He has made the way for us to be here, to overcome the obstacles and the hurdles that were in our way, and to claim the promises that he has for us. God has led our church through this whole process of relocating, reestablishing ourselves in a community that he has called us to reach. And this is our memorial to remind us of what God has done so that we can tell all the peoples of the earth that the hand of the Lord is powerful. This is not only our memorial for our church family, but also each of us individually in our lives. It represents where where we came to know when we came to have a relationship with the Father. And that's something that we want to invite you to this morning if that's not a place you find yourself. Not being in a relationship with God. He's made a way through Christ's death on the cross, taking on the sin of the world, and then his resurrection, defeating sin and death, so that we could have a personal and intimate connection with the Father. It represents the new beginning that we talked about. If you want to be part of our church family, if you want to join us in this journey that we're on, to be the kingdom of God on earth, to be the hope, we are the hope of earth. Christ is working through us. We want to invite you to join our church family. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you this morning. Maybe you have an obstacle that you don't know how to face. We want to invite you to come and to, and to pray as well.